Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there and welcome to the Stock Club Podcast, coming to you from the top floor of my Wall Street HQ here in Dublin, Ireland. I'm James and with me this week is my Wall Street co-founder and chief investor Emmett Savage and our head analyst Rory Carran. In this episode, we're talking about Facebook releasing a Pinterest competitor, what's going wrong for Under Armour and the two traditional retailers we like most at the minute. So guys, just before we came up to record today, um, I had a quick look at Zillow's earnings report and it made for pretty interesting reading. Um, revenue grew 158% on a quarterly basis or 106% on an annual basis to hit $2.9 billion for 2019. Um, unsurprisingly, maybe their home segment, which includes that new Zillow offers feature we discussed before, that made up over $1.3 billion of this figure. And this is a business that was only launched 20 months ago. Um, so, Rory, what are your thoughts on this? It's like they snuck another business in, like under our noses. Yeah. Like, you know, like it's um, like back in the day when they used to do this, these reverse mergers, you know, when like a company that couldn't get listed just bought yeah. a really cheap company that was listed and they basically just like took yeah. over it. It's like that. It's like <laughs> they yeah. just were like, yeah, we're, we just got a new business now. It's growing like crazy and forget that old business that we used to have mm, mm. yeah you know how do you grow revenue like at that size grow revenue 100 and what's 58% buying and selling homes <laughs> evidently yeah. yeah what could go wrong I, disregarding yeah, the infantry <laughs> so what the, if they 3,000 homes so on yeah, the books they, they bought according to the, the report they bought hundred uh, sorry 1,787 homes in the fourth quarter and they sold 1,900 homes and they've got just under 3,000 homes left in their inventory. So they're, right. they're selling more than they're buying yeah. on a quarterly basis. I presume their analytics is very good at identifying hot areas yeah. where they're not just buying a home and hoping that this area takes over. Well, do you know, like there was a story about a few years ago about how Google could tell when a flu would break out in an area the like a week limbs before thing. it happened because yeah. people were like Googling, Googling that they had yeah. sore limbs. Right. I'm not saying Zillow are able to know when there's going to be a housing crash, but they definitely know more than everyone else. Well, that's a fact. No, that is yeah. very true. They know where people are looking and yeah, perusing the properties. Yeah. About the whole risks thing, you yeah. know, like the stock market is like one of those old time boudoirs, you know, there's something for everyone. <laughs> you know, if you, if you want to get into it. I hope they incorporate that into their next uh, quarterly report. There, we're we're, we're your old time boudoir, uh, good old fashioned home site. No, whatever you have yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, so um, it was another bad earnings report last week for Kraft Heinz. Shares are down now about 40% in the past year. Um, and a lot of this has kind of been um, due to some of their major brands within their portfolio struggling. Um, the company stunned Wall Street last year when it announced a $15 billion write-down on its Kraft and Oscar Mayer brands. Um, they followed that up in August then with a nearly $500 million write-down on the value of other uh, poorly performing brands, including Veal Vita, uh, Maxwell House, and Miracle Whip. Um, Rory, is this the end of kind of big consumer staple companies? 
How did they write down Miracle Whip? How could they not? <laughs> well, Miracle on. Whip, Harry. We don't have Miracle Whip here, unfortunately. No. But I've heard we used to. We used to. It was a thing. There was a TV ad here in Ireland in the 80s based in New York with a, a typical New Yorker saying more Miracle Whip Harry. She wanted more Miracle Whip cream on her sandwich. And it was <laughs> big in the 80s. And it's so, is, have you ever had it? I have. Is it savoury or sweet? Uh, it's sweet disguised as savoury. It's sweet. <laughs> you know like it looks savoury you know uh, like is ketchup savoury sweet it's sweet it's, yeah, yeah, you know okay. the, the oh, okay, Heinz yeah. um, salad cream is sweet it's it's not far from that okay I'll come back to the salad cream later <laughs> right. um, so yeah like the story of Kraft Heinz is just like an amazing example in everyone getting everything so wrong yeah like 2015 they combine two of the oldest, biggest consumer staple companies in the world, Kraft and Heinz, and it's done by, it, it becomes the third largest food company in the US. It's done by the brightest brains in business, um, Warren Buffett and 3G Capital, Yeah, uh, who had worked together previously. They kind of had this almost formula for how to do this. They, yeah. you know, they bought Burger King or they'd taken Burger King private a couple of years beforehand, then bought Tim Hortons, combined the two and launched Restaurant Brands Inc. Made a lot of money out of that. Um, they bought uh, Ab InBev or they combined Ab InBev to make one of the biggest beer producers in the world. So they had this kind of like running formula of how this works. And it basically was you buy a, an old company that's been there for ages, you cut costs, like really cut costs. Yeah. As in, have you ever heard of zero-based budgeting? Heard of it? Don't know what it is. It means no. that it means that like every single year, every single department has to start from zero on their budget and explain every line item. Like you can't just <laughs> say we spent ten million last year, so we need eleven million this year because we're going to. You have to go right back to zero wow. and, and explain every single decision you're going to make. You do realize you're telling the CEO of our company this. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I have to get my notepad. What's that again? We've never let him know the budget. <laughs> um, and uh, that was the joke, folks. <laughs> And so you think this is going to be brilliant. It's like, how can it not work? And Warren Buffett's involved, he owns a massive part of the company. And then for the first like year, it seemed to be working. Stock went up. They have even tried to buy out Unilever yeah. for $143 billion, which would have made this wow. absolute dinosaur off a CPG company. And then all of a sudden it starts going bad and they're like, yeah, do you know what? We didn't invest in any of our brands. Yeah, And suddenly no one's buying them anymore. And this is what 3G do. Like the critics say the approach, you know, creates great margins but oh, yeah. completely destroys innovation. They have the best margins in CPG. Yeah. They're like, their yeah. margins are up in like the mid-20s while everyone else is struggling to get past yeah. 15%. Yeah. But no one's buying their products yeah. anymore. And yeah. because they slashed budgets, yeah. their R&D yeah. departments went totally out the window. Right. They missed out on things that everyone else was yeah. on, like plant-based meat, for example. Oh, They're right. the only food company that hasn't got a plant-based meat product going. Yeah, mm. And they fired all these really experienced people who were used to dealing with the warehousing and the storage and getting the, the stuff on shelves. And they kind of woke up one day and no one wanted to buy Oscar Mayer meat. And they're all like kind of shocked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so does that mean 3G Capital's approach is kind of one that's just 
it's had its day and that ultimately it's for the destruction of the business now. Or, or is avoid? it that you just can't use a, a cookie cutter approach across different industries? Like yeah. what worked for the yeah. beverage industry doesn't necessarily work for consumer staples. But yeah. on the surface, you, you could, you know, one could quickly think, oh, well, you know, uh, Kraft Heinz don't need to... C- to continue innovation, which is completely wrong. But you would think their products are out there, they're known and loved around the world, everybody loves Heinz ketchup, and that's that. But it really is the proof that innovation needs to underlie every business, you know, whether it's just small incremental innovation, radical innovation, whatever type of innovation, but you just can't cut it for the sake of margins. I think particularly at this time as well, when yeah. like consumer tastes are changing so much yeah. in terms of especially what we eat, like people are much more aware of where their food comes from. Yeah. They're much more aware of what it's doing, especially when you're like, for children, people are like crazy about, you know, making sure that there's no uh, additives mm. or preservatives in their food. And they just kind of thought, like you said, like Heinz has been on the tables of American households for 70 years. It's not going away anytime soon. And suddenly it was going away and yeah. they were literally left totally dumbfounded. Warren Buffett like lost in one day $4.3 billion when they wow. took that right down on Kraft and Oscar Mayer. Wow. That's, that's, that's what incredible. Was, wasn't like, his number one rule, never lose money? And his <laughs> yeah. rule number two was never lose money? Yeah. Like, that's a lot of money. To it is a lot of money, day. yeah. And, like, he's still holding on to real pocket change there. I think, like, sometimes, like, sometimes you do see Buffett as just being a little bit old school, like a bit too old school. Well, we yeah. saw that especially with yeah. the um, the investment in Amazon too, that he eventually came around, or was it Amazon or Apple? Yeah, well, he did uh, both. Both, both yeah, yeah. That he eventually came around and was like, yeah, I really missed the boat in this one. Yeah, I mean, and that, that was because of his two kind of protégés. Uh, yeah. They kind of pushed him yeah. to do those investments and now it's one of their biggest holdings, Apple. So, yeah, just a very bizarre, crazy story. And like 3G, they've, they've fired the... 3G lackey that they had as the CEO. They brought in this new guy and I think he's kind of like looking at this being like, how do I turn this around? You know, when you have such a big company, you go down that route. Mm-hmm. So hard to, to change yeah. things. Yeah, well that, that was the next question I was going to ask is, is there a way back for this? I think you made the comment during the week Rory about how long it takes a, a giant oil tanker to stop something like 20 minutes and it's kind of comparable to this such a massive brand it's not easy to reposition themselves no it's not one of those things that you know if you make a mistake you can quickly pivot you know, yeah. this is a mm. huge mm. business and with so much like you're talking about decades of relationship building and, and getting those brands out there and building them up through television ads and stuff like that and suddenly things start going awry it's not that easy just you can't pivot on a penny like maybe a small more nimble company can yeah yeah. so yeah I think I mean like at the moment it looks you know you asked me last week is Shopify overvalued and I said yes it looks <laughs> it looks very overvalued but I'd still buy it yeah this looks undervalued but I still wouldn't buy it because right. there's yeah. so much left that they have to fix before they get this thing back yeah. on yeah. okay yeah. Um, so move on to our next story then and in classic Facebook fashion they've uh, ripped off another app um, so, so we, we learned last week that um, Facebook have released a new app called Hobby that's Hobby with an I um, and this basically allows people to save photos of projects and activities they're interested in um, who does that sound like uh, I'll, I'll give you some more context it's uh, they focus on lifestyle topics including cooking home decor and do-it-yourself projects might it be Pinterest well. which was <laughs> <laughs> which was great because it was like we'd already decided this was the new um, company to go on the app yeah I know <laughs> February's new addition to my Wall Street was Pinterest and, and on Friday the Friday before it's launched Facebook come out well like a, do, do you really have a business if Mark Zuckerberg isn't trying to rip it off <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, like, if we just look in the, the rear view mirror and say, like, they Facebook launched a competitor to match. Is that correct? Oh, Facebook dating, yeah. Facebook we'll, we'll dating? get to that in a minute. Uh -huh, <laughs> okay, right. So, I mean, and that was a failure. And whether or not hobbies succeeds is completely reliant on this trial you know, this app success that they've launched iOS only. It's a very good example of two things that I think we talk about quite a lot, which is one, most news is BS, for yeah. want of a better word. Yeah. I know this is a family show. Yeah. And two, when you hear any news story about this is the something killer, mm -hmm. it's not. Yeah. Like 99.999% yeah. yeah. of the time it's not. It's like the only reason Facebook would launch something like this is because they've looked at Pinterest and gone, that's a really good business. We should be in that business. Yeah. And that happens all the time. Amazon did it with to Etsy years and years ago. They launched what was known as the Etsy killer, homemade by Amazon. And it failed, totally yeah. failed. Yeah. And like if Etsy stock went down like 75% over the like six months after that announcement, yeah. and look at Etsy now, it was yeah. like a massive business and handmade by Amazon doesn't even exist anymore. If yeah. it does, it's like such a tiny tiny part of their business yeah. um, and like yeah so first of all the story that it's a Pinterest competitor not totally true it's similar to Pinterest in that if you have a hobby or you're doing a project it's like you document it with photos and videos and share it with people Yeah. Um, so yeah it's very, there's crossovers it was created by a part of Facebook called Facebook's MPE which is New Product Experimentation uh, which is kind of like their their lab's you know, yeah. they kind of go off, you go off there, do mad stuff, mm -hmm. come back and we'll kind of test it. Um, the quote that they have about it was, set the appropriate expectations with people that, unlike Facebook's family of apps, MPE's team apps will change very rapidly and will shut down if we learn that they are not useful to people. Okay. So it is really like, we're launching something, if you don't like it, it'll be gone in three weeks. Don't, yeah. don't yeah. think that this is here to stay. Um, they've made three apps so far. Uh, Whale, which was an app for creating and editing memes, I think similar enough to uh, TikTok, was shut down. That didn't work. Um, Aux was a kind of playlist sharing app that's still going. And Bump is a dating app uh, that's still kind of going. But again, these are very small launches. They only have yeah. a couple of thousand users. They're not actually going to be, you know, Bump isn't going to overtake Match. Yeah, you know, it's okay. So, yeah, the story itself, like, Pinterest went down like four or five percent on this news. Yeah, mm. madness. Yeah, absolute yeah. madness. Yeah. Like it's not even yeah. uh, real competitor. It was only launched in a couple of places. Yeah. John Tyrrell and I were out on Facebook in Palo Alto in 2013, just before we set up the business as part of our own R and D mission. And uh, the person giving us the tour of their HQ showed us how Facebook can gather enough data on any concepts within a couple of minutes, three minutes and ascertain whether it's going to be a success or not. Now, I don't know. I doubt if that's true for an app where people have to download it, register and actually evolve with it. But I would imagine that by the time this week is done, Facebook will have an early indicator, enough data to say hobby is a flyer or not. Yeah. You know, that's how quick they'll be able to get to the bottom line. I, I think as well, like how many times have we heard Facebook's launching? Yeah. Like everyone remembers when they destroyed Snap with stories. Yeah, oh, but yeah, I just yeah. look at like Snap is, Snap stock has nearly doubled in the past year. Like it, it hasn't completely killed off Snap. No, but it was like this. Yeah, at the time. It yeah. was this absolute, we are gunning for you and we are going to take you down. And they did in a like big way. Yeah. But everything else they've tried, like they've tried so many other things that have been total flops. Well, we mentioned, <laughs> we mentioned the Facebook dating and uh as as some of our listeners might know, the Facebook um, European headquarters is here, and they were due to release their dating product in Europe 
last week just out of Valentine's Day and uh, their offices were it might be a bit of a, a, an overstatement here but the offices were raided by the Data Protection Commissioners last week with relation to the dating product and it had to be uh, postponed and I was just you know I, I don't know the nitty gritty of it and it's probably is overblown by the media but I was just like that is not a good look before releasing a dating product uh, getting <laughs> the data commissioner in there to, to kind of Day. that's not the sort of information you want leaked or mm. compromised I mm. think like Mark Zuckerberg has this concept that ev- like why wouldn't you want absolutely everything that you ever do mm. on Facebook yeah yeah but he's a sociopath. Like, that's not... <laughs> most people don't... I wish you'd speak your mind. No, most people... Like, you know, I'm not saying he is, but I know, that's yeah. the behaviour of a... So, like, nobody yeah. wants all these things connected. We want things kind of siloed. Uh, compartmentalised, you know, exactly. You want your yeah. private life and your personal life and your yeah, work yeah. life all separated. Yeah, that's and right. And Mark Zuckerberg's just like, why wouldn't you want Facebook for business and Facebook for dating and Facebook for feeding your dog? Like, all yeah. your life in one single place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, before this show started we were downstairs debating the virtues of Zoom yeah. over you know uh, video on Slack or Skype. Skype or and it's just to be good at one thing to be better than everyone else at one thing is enough to succeed yeah. and this is exactly the point you're making it just as you say Facebook there's blurred boundaries now they uh, now they do it very successfully and other things WhatsApp and Instagram is a different brand and a different position but yeah I, I, I agree with you fully why would you go there for these things? Yeah, absolutely. So moving on then, we're going to talk about the company we never talk about. Rory, you're taking it this week and you're going to chat about Under Armour. I know, and I feel like you really should be talking about this instead, Emma, because you were like, yeah. you know, really involved in this business. But I oh, know you can like, you know, <laughs> tell me when I'm wrong about things because I have actually done the prep. <laughs> so yeah, no, that's fine. No, please. Um, so yeah, Under Armour. So from January 09 to July 15, Under Armour stock went up 20 fold. Wow. It was the darling of Wall Street. Yeah. Since then, it's down 70%. Yeah. And, you know, so going back to that time, 08 or 09 to, to 15, Under Armour's North American sales, which made up 70% of its overall sales, went up, went from 700 million to 4 billion, um, which made it pass Adidas as the second biggest sports retailer wow. in the United States. Over the next two years, Adidas's revenue increased 36%, while Under Armour's fell 7%. Wow. So, like, it's such a Mm. tale of two time zones. And, like, I suppose Adidas is probably the best. You know, you can't really compare Under Armour to Nike, I suppose, because it was such a giant. But the fact that this totally new company was able to come up and take on Adidas, which had been around for, what, 70, 80 years, and was so well known Mm. to become the second largest retailer in the United States, it's just an incredible, incredible story. And now to see its downfall is quite kind of sad, really. Like, it kind (laughs) of is, isn't it? I I think it's surprising for a lot of people as well when they, they, you know, maybe if they're removed, so just as consumers, you kind of, Under Armour still has... A pretty pretty worldwide brand, and I think they're mm. kind of surprised when they hear about the stock over the past few years. Yeah, um, I suppose I think we're kind of a little bit away from it as well because I, we see Under Armour everywhere here. Yeah, like it is yeah. still very popular it here. Is, yeah, um, whereas there was like a teen survey done by one of the investment banks a couple of months ago, which said Under Armour was the number two brand that people had stopped wearing. Oh yeah, teenagers specifically. Yeah, young people hate it, and like you do see in the athletic apparel market there is trends there's Mm. times when people want performance gear and Mm. that's what Under Armour is great at this high performance Mm. sportswear and then there's other times where people want what they call at leisure wear which is sports gear that you can kind of go to the shops in you know it's fashionable enough 
that you you'll get away with it. Yeah, well, you don't look like you just came from the gym, but yeah, you're still wearing yeah. Nike yeah. hoodie, you know, yeah. for example. And we've definitely had this change where people are more into their leisure wear than they're into their high performance gear. And Under Armour have been, no, we don't do at that at leisure wear stuff. We mm, want yeah. the high performance gear, yeah. our stuff will always, and maybe this will play out for them. Maybe they will become known as the high performance yeah. sportswear company, mm. whereas Nike and Adidas will become the companies where, you know, you buy it to, you, kind of. to look good and Kanye West designs your shoes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you touch on it, I, I bought the stock in around the summer of 2006 and there's some companies that for me have a number absolutely burned into my mind. For example, when I hear the word Activision, the number 11 comes into my mind because it felt like for the entirety of my 20s, I held that stock and the share price was 11 bucks. It just is like these numbers that I can't, they just, I looked at it for so long that it just yeah. like was synonymous with that stock. Uh, for me, Under Armour, I hear Under Armour, I know when I bought in summer uh, 06, it was floating around five bucks a share and it sat at five bucks a share plus or minus 20 percent for I'd say five or six years and then it took off and during that period the reason I bought Under Armour way back when was that it had an absolute innovative core like it wanted to do those uh, clothing products that were new or whether it was moisture wicking tops or cleats or uh, let's say niche products for niche sports but kind of making their way into the mainstream and then surely they made their way into the mainstream and, and Under Armour do the same product set effectively as Adidas and Nike. But I noticed recently that they are now the provider of spacesuits to Virgin Galactic, which I guess is, I don't know if it's, um, you know, is that they're trying to get back to their innovative roots because I guess spacesuits is pretty innovative. <laughs> I don't think it's a sports activity, but heck, it is very innovative. And yeah, I saw Richard Branson on, on a CNBC or something wearing an Under Armour uh, spacesuit in his interview. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's talking about carving out a niche. It like. is, really. Yeah, it is. Well, they're, they're, you know, we've got to get in early. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that big consumer brands, uh, they don't die easily. You know, they go through long periods of disillusionment. And I wouldn't be surprised if Under Armour makes its way up there again. I always felt like it was one of those things where it was like, Under Armour's either going to become the Nike or the Reebok yeah. sports apparel. And there's a big difference. Like, yeah. you know, they're both sports retailers, but one is seen as this iconic brand that'll be around forever and the other's kind of... Are they still going? Yeah. Do you, yeah. Does that still <laughs> a company? I don't even know yeah. what their logo looks like, yeah. you know, that kind of way. Yeah. And like, so, you know, the move to athleisure wear was obviously big. There was also, in Under Armour's defence, this massive closure of distribution outlets in the United States. Lots of big athletic sports stores did close down. Yeah. But, then, like, even the, the ones that are still up, for example, Dick's Sporting Goods, which yeah. is one of the last big ones, they're not even a 10% vendor in there anymore. Wow. Which wow. Is, That's unbelievable. I know, it's in, insane. Yeah. And then they, so, you know, in order to correct this, Under Armour went out and set up a load of their own stores. Yeah. But 90% of the stores in their stores in the US are discount stores. Right. They only have 16 full price oh Under Armour stores in the entire United States. That's, and and that I think we've amazing. spoken before about how damaging that kind of discounting is for a brand, yeah. especially a brand like when you're competing with the likes of Nike and stuff where it is, you know, it's it's premium prices for the clothes and you kind of know. And then when, when it's when it sits on the discount rack for long enough, it kind of really damages the brand. So brand damaging. I mean, if you know, when we, five years ago, when we set up the app, there was two companies that were basically doing sort of similar stuff uh, about the same market cap. 
one was Under Armour and the other was Lululemon. Yeah, yeah. If you were to tell me that yeah. we'd be sitting here talking about the downfall of Under Armour while Lululemon's up, what, 300% since, I yeah. would have laughed. Because yeah. it's looked Likewise. like Under Armour had all the runway ahead of them, whereas Lululemon was in this niche space that could easily be penetrated by the bigger players. No, they mm. Lululemon managed their brand so carefully, yeah. And still to this day, people are buying their yoga pants despite having had so many CEOs. And yeah, no, that's that. the most amazing thing. They've yeah. done it with literally no leadership because they change CEOs every two months. <laughs> Don't know what is intrinsic to that company, but they somehow <laughs> yeah. managed to get through it. Well, well, speaking of CEOs, Under Armour has a new CEO in at the minute. How do you think that's kind of where, where their future lies? Is this could be the make or break for them? I think he's a. Like he is a brilliant businessman, yeah. And bringing him in was a great move. But who that was literally it? Patrick Frisk, who oh, right. who re, um, reinvigorated Aldo, the Canadian shoe chain, uh, brought Timberlands back from the dead. Uh, like he he has pedigree, but that is literally like the least they could have done by the time they did yeah. it. You know, they really yeah. should have done it like years before that. Um, and I still see Kevin Planks going on the earnings call. Yeah, he won't which, let go. Yeah, he, and what was that thing about the shoes? But his wife flopped. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't remember the name of the shoes, but there was a, oh, yeah. it was a report that um, there was these like slip-on women's shoes, and they were like performing really badly, and like all the like the consumer reports they got back just hated them, but they kept producing them because his wife liked them. It's mm. like that's not what you want to hear from, no. from senior management. I know he's gone from like being one of those CEOs you really put on a pedestal to being a guy where you're just like stay away from that company, man. He's made so many just disastrous missteps yeah, from yeah. getting behind Trump. He was big into Trump and yeah. then he had a big fight with Steph Curry. And yeah, who was, yeah. you know, who was should have been the, the Michael Jordan to yeah, Mikey. Like, and politics and business, uh, they shouldn't no, be mixed up in the same jar. Just stay out of involved. it. Don't comment. You know, the world is trying to get make their way through life without you commentating on something not relevant. So that is our company we never talk about, Under Armour. I just want to remind you of some of the other great stuff in my Wall Street at the moment, including our new stock edition, which is Pinterest, and our latest Stock of the Month report. Don't forget that you can also listen to the brand new Stock of the Month podcast in the My Wall Street app at the moment too. This is a subscriber-only podcast where Rory and I chat about the one stock in the My Wall Street shortlist that we like most at the moment. February Stock of the Month podcast is live in My Wall Street at the moment, so make sure to go in and check it out. Let's move on to Jargon Busters. Emmett, you're taking both questions today I think um, our first question is from Sean and he asked early in your investment career you say that you thought you were invincible and ended up essentially losing everything how did you change your mindset when you started over and how did you not want to make risky trades and try to get back even mm. I suppose when I was in my mid-twenties my, my paper net worth grew to levels disproportionate to my age my experience yeah. my skill and it was also at odds with my background. You know, I didn't come from money, as they say around yeah. here. So I, 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 I got lucky. And I don't know, we, Luke and I were just debating a word yesterday because we used words and we're trying to figure out the international. But it was a fluke. You know, mm. I, I, I have the internet prevailed in my life when I was young enough to get involved. The dot-com bubble started to grow and this completely captivated me. So, um, I, you know, so a lot of people in their early and mid-twenties feel a lot more invincible than they did mm. 10 years earlier and they will do so in 10 years from now and I, I was in a sweet spot of being in good health and having a situation where I could save a little every month um, and most of my peers at that time were saving something on a month 
monthly basis to a credit union or bank account. Yeah. But what I did that was slightly different was I codified my saving into a brokerage account. So at the end of every month, I had a little left over and rather than it going into a bank or credit union, it went into my brokerage account. And and that habit mm. of regular saving straight into a brokerage has prevailed in my life from that day till now and 25 years later. So that... that that putting money aside every month hasn't changed. But no, it hasn't changed. And and so when the dot-com house of cards fell, I was still young and still saving. Yeah. So that was, I mean, youth is, well, you either have it or you don't. So I was lucky <laughs> enough to be young. And that kind of mentality of saving, putting a little away, which I think for most people begins, if they're fortunate enough, at a young age, uh, was there. So the foundations of rebuilding my portfolio were in place. I was young and I was still saving and everything I'd, let's say, made, quote, unquote, on the stock market had been vaporised. So, um, and it was around that time that I realised uh, that, you know, the company, the companies I'd invested in had undergone, like, hyper growth. Um, they may have had a good idea as businesses, but their path to profit was unclear, um, or even they didn't have revenue at all. Okay. So a lot of the businesses I invested in were just growing with no foundation whatsoever. So uh, I was invested in businesses I didn't even understand. And there's a good example. There was a business here in Ireland in the the mid-90s, probably late 90s, that floated called Iona Technologies. And Iona Technologies was a stock that I and a lot of my peers were really excited about investing in. They'd gone to the US, they'd floated their shares, they were the subject of the the news on TV and radio. And, and what Iona Technologies did, and this is all I can tell you, is middleware. Okay, that's all I remember. One word, middleware. And and in 1998, okay, right, so... What's middleware? Middleware. I'm trying to figure out, is it technology or fashion? Oh, no, well, you know something, the the business itself was founded by one of the most intelligent people in this city through to this day, Dr. Chris Horn, head of School of Computer Science, at least at one stage in Trinity College. And middleware was software that sat in the middle of something. I don't know where. And not many people did, but I tell you, the investing public were in a frenzy to buy Iona Technologies. This was like the hottest ticket. Dublin City in the late 90s, it was hard to walk around it without someone feeling excited about the news about Iona's flotation. I even went in to meet a young lady who worked for Iona because I I was just curious about what did they do. And I walked away none the wiser. But what I had heard from her was she had taken a loan to buy shares in Iona. And this was a false signal. There was this... It was, I suppose, another version of the tulip brush. It was the run-up to the dot-com bubble. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and my point is that, you know, there was people getting each other excited about businesses that, frankly, they could not explain yeah. to themselves. Like middleware. That's yeah. it. That's all I know. So um, the storm passed, the dot-com bubble burst, and, um, and I lost it all. And my first commitment to myself was, from now on, I'm only going to, buy stocks and businesses, I understand, not middleware businesses. <laughs> and that's a fairly good start. So I kind of, I was still young, I was still saving regularly, and I was only going to buy stocks and companies I could at least get the gist of how they made money. And and it was from there that uh, I suppose I derived other rules that I've lived by, which is I'm therefore not going to buy, I'm not a huge fan of banks and yeah. pharmaceuticals, because for all my efforts, I, I, I just haven't be I haven't a good track history so in staying in your your circle of competence. Yes, yeah, staying my is exactly. So um, and I started over and I, like by no means did I become Zen overnight. 
And for the next 10 years, I still had rash decisions, sell decisions. And uh, eight to 10 years, at least, I was still on the learning curve. So uh, the, to the question, you know, what uh, learnings, I mean, I compounded my learnings through daily thinking about the stock market and doing it. And the six golden rules that we have built here in this business yeah. um, are gathered from thousands of hours of practice and studying. So it wasn't just that I changed my temperament overnight. I just kept going. Yeah, yeah. It just kept going, kept going. But I think the best advice that we can give to any investor, irrespective of their stage, is that the six golden rules that we proudly put on our website and very often speak about here um, are underpinned not just by my lessons like it's not one guy's anecdotes brought to a single point it's there's massive data there's massive research and there's tons of writing behind our six golden rules yeah uh, so the I, yeah a storm is a brewing there will be a downturn um, yeah. in the lifetime of our podcast here we will I'm sure have very many episodes uh, addressing people's worries about the downturn that's just the way it goes that's stock investing but over the long term it works and I guess if I was to just get to a single answer stay within your circle of competence buy what you believe in make sure you can understand the business and just keep going keep going okay Uh, the next question comes from James a different James on Twitter who asked as long term investors what are some good reasons for selling shares other than needing emergency cash Um, if you see something else that you believe has far better prospects. And yeah. for years and years, I kept a simple Excel spreadsheet where I ranked my stocks. I'd only sell something if for three consecutive months I had uh, colored it in as red, which meant I, I didn't yeah. believe in it. So it forced me to slow down my decisions. And if there was something not on that spreadsheet that I wanted. So, you know, it's, you sell something to free up cash to buy something that you believe is superior, but you don't do it quickly. Yeah. Okay. So let's go on to our elevator pitch then. So Emmett, for so far this year, you've been kind of uh, dishing the dirt on the debt of retail. You've been you've been uh, you made a prediction this year that we'd see a lot more retail stores close, and you've been proven right so far. But for this week's elevator pitch, I want you guys to pitch me a traditional retail stock that you like at the moment. Did you hear the story about Macy's yesterday? By the way. I probably their did. Credit, their credit got downgraded to junk status. No, I did not hear that. Oh my goodness. Which is, uh, I don't oh. know if that's the signal or the noise, but that's not good. Oh no, that's not good. <laughs> not good. That's a Moody's rating, yeah. basically. Oh, yeah. well, ugly. So, Emmett, you talked a lot there, Rory. I'll let you go first. What traditional stock do you like at the moment? Traditional retail stock? So, yeah, we're always looking for stocks. When you talk about traditional stocks, it's the non-e-commerce stocks. Yeah. And... There is yeah. one giant company that's going to destroy every other company that's not e-commerce, which is Amazon. But there is a couple of companies out there that, for whatever reason, I think are Amazon-proof, almost, as much as anything can be Amazon-proof. And one of them is Home Depot. Um, and the reason I think it is is because there's certain things that just don't work in e-commerce. Um, there's something called the weight-to-value ratio, which is basically like a shipping term. So like, it's very profitable to ship a diamond ring. Yeah, because it's a really high value product and it weighs yeah. nothing, but it's not very profitable to ship concrete because it doesn't. It's not worth much, mm. and it's very heavy. Mm. Home Depot sells a lot of really heavy things that aren't really very high price items, like tins of paint, 
metal for your gaff. Yeah. And so it's... You know, <laughs> Dublin expression yeah, there, sorry, folks. that's a Dublin thing. Metal for your gaff. <laughs> <laughs> gaff equals house. <laughs> Our home. <laughs> um, so Home Depot just has this, like, intrinsic thing that kind of protects it against the Amazons of yeah. the world. okay. And it's proven that way over the last 10 years. I think it's up sevenfold, which is pretty good for an old sleepy dad stock. So is, uh, yeah. Home Depot mm. is one of my favourite traditional retailers. Yeah, yeah. I like it okay. too. Good, good point. Uh, Emmett, what traditional retail stock are you going for? Well, um, I'm a big fan of Ulta Beauty. Yep. Uh, I've never used them. I've never been to an Ulta Beauty, but it's a $17 billion uh, salon chain and purveyor of beauty products. And uh, year on year, its revenue grows. And last year, it had about $6.7 billion revenue with a bottom line profit of about 658 million bucks. Um, but despite that, unlike Home Depot, the stock has underperformed the S&P 500 uh, in the last year because consumers are shifting. They're spending away from makeup into skincare. And um, uh, Piper Jeffrey noted a 21% decrease in cosmetic purchases amongst teens recently, which is a very important demographic for the business. So um, the reason I like Ulta Salon is that software in the web can't, cannot take care of your hair and nails. And, um, well, not yet anyway. Yeah. So Ulta Salon allows us to invest in a very well-run business by fabulous leader, Mary Dillon. And uh, I think it's going to rise again. Yeah. Good. So yeah. the kind of experience one for Mary Dillon. Yeah. Great yeah. CEO. Yeah. Uh, and and she gets mentioned a lot on this podcast. Of Starbucks. She's on the board of Starbucks board. and future CEO. Uh, I put my money on. Ah, uh, okay, good prediction. <laughs> you got it. You got a third pitch there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's about it from this week's Stock Club. Don't forget about all the great new stuff in my Wall Street at the moment. If there's anything you'd like us to discuss or explain in the next episode of Stock Club, please make sure to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter. That's at my Wall Street HQ. Or email us at pod at mywallstreet.com. That's P-O-D at mywallstreet.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Stock Club podcast. And if you're enjoying it, please leave a review for us on whatever platform you listen to us on. That's it from us here today. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you in two weeks. Happy investing. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 